0: This is Tiger Sports Report Live, and I'm your host, Brian Moss. We are starting a series of articles and podcasts called Why I Coach. We'll interview various Memphis coaches and ask them why they chose to become a coach. First up is Memphis football running backs coach, Anthony Jones. Let's hear from Coach Jones and see what he has to say on why he became a coach. Go back to the high school. You you were a wide receiver at Westwood, correct? Uh, I played both wide receiver and D and safety. Um, and then my senior year, I moved to quarterback. Uh, nice. Now, when you were when you were playing back then, you had any thoughts of coaching at all, or was it just all you know, just playing football? No, it was, <laughs> it was just all playing football. Uh, I wasn't. I guess I was a decent athlete. I don't know how good of a quarterback I was, but um,
1: threw for a bunch of yards because at that time my my high school. We threw the ball in a bunch. Um, I I was an athlete, so I ran for a ton of yards. But I don't know if I was a true quarterback. I didn't read anything, I can promise you
0: that. Now, what what schools were after you? I know you you ultimately went to uh, Chattanooga, but were there any other schools uh, that were after you? so uh, a couple of
1: schools, Tennessee State, Alabama State, uh, Texas Southern at the time. Memphis kind of flirted around with me a little bit, only to play DB, though. Uh, not as a quarterback or a receiver. Um, now, now, uh, gr- miss.
0: now, growing up in Memphis. Now, was was the Tigers like? Did you root for them growing up? Or how did you view the Tigers when you were growing up? Absolutely. I mean, you always root for the home team,
1: you know. And and they were they were okay. They were decent. They was right around the start of the the, the Williams era. Um. So, what the Tigers never they. I can't remember they offered it or not. They wanted me to play DB, and I didn't think I was a good tackler, so <laughs> I wanted
0: to play DB. And, uh, and I ended up going to Chattanooga to play
1: receiver. Uh, so it was it was good. But yes, you always grew up rooting for the Tigers. I got a chance to uh, obviously go to a couple of games
0: when I was a student in high school, so it was it was fun. Now then, you go to uh, Chattanooga, you play your uh, college ball there. At at what point did you, uh, you know, go from player to all of a sudden now you're going to be a graduate assistant there? Uh, You know, was it sometime during the senior year? Yeah, so it was, I guess it was, it was during, it was during my last, it was in my
1: junior year. Uh, So at the end of my junior year, so I guess in the middle of my junior year, I kind of found myself being like a leader inside of my position group. so I kinda of thought myself guys coming to talk to me, not only about just football problems, but just problems in general. And I kinda of thought myself as a junior giving advice to guys. Um, so when my senior rolled around, obviously you do the whole hosting and the recruit and all that stuff. And I found myself being a daddy. <laughs> you know, I found myself telling telling the freshman guys, Hey, listen, you don't be out in clubs past twelve midnight or one o'clock in the morning or you shouldn't have a car on campus because you don't know how to handle it type of deal. You know, so I kind of found myself in a leadership role as a player and didn't realize it. And then I realized, Hey, maybe, maybe this is something that I really want to do for sure.
0: Good deal. And then, uh, you, you had that opportunity as a graduate assistant. Now, was it just one year you were at, the, uh, yeah, Chattanooga? It was actually, it was actually just one, one
1: semester, actually. Uh, so I did that, and I worked at Enterprise running car at the same time, just to kind of, you know, have some money. So what I would do is I would work Enterprise in the morning, uh, come up to the office and do as much as I can during spring, because uh, it was only doing during the 2008 winter. Uh, then I go to grad school at night, and I go back to the office and do the whole thing all over again. Because, uh, you know, you, you're done playing. You're not good enough to go to the National Football League. Nobody's calling your phone for the XFL or the, uh, the uh, uh, Ring of Football League. you got to make a decision. Uh, that's, what I, that's what I chose to do. And then I realized, hey, I, I kind of want to coach high school, but I want to go back to my hometown and kind of be an impact in my hometown. Uh, and, I was, and I was fortunate enough to get that opportunity. I got a call, I think, in June. So I packed up, and me and my girlfriend, which is my wife now, we uh, packed up on faith, and we transferred enterprise jobs. down here to Memphis, and I did that for about uh, about a month or two. I think in the month of June and July, actually. And then I started fresh in the fall.
0: And you spent uh, was it four year, three or four years, as an assistant at Westwood before the, they turned over the reins uh, to you.
1: Yes, I spent three years as an assistant at Westwood. So my first year I was the receivers coach. Uh, year two and three, I was the uh, offensive coordinator, uh, where I coached quarterbacks and receivers at the same time. And then year four and five
0: was my first two years as a head football coach. When you first got that head football coach job, you know, what was running through your, through your head at that time? Oh, everything. I mean, you. I've always dreamed of, of
1: being a being a high school head coach. Once I started coaching, uh, so you try to take notes and you try to write notes down. Uh, but then, when you actually get the call, or when you get the recommendation to to be a head coach, uh, it's like you didn't prepare for this or you didn't prepare for that. You know, and uh, it was it was fun. It was mind blowing. I was it was a good situation because I already knew the kids. So it wasn't like I was walking into something brand new. Yeah, but it was good. Running. Really good support, and really good
0: staff, and, and the guys bought in really quick. We hit the ground running. And before you uh, became that head coach, what coach or coaches, uh, you know, kind of helped you mold your uh, mold you into the head coach when you first got that job?
1: Uh, way back in Chickasaw Junior High School, So I didn't start playing football until the eighth grade. And then back then, Junior High is for seventh and ninth grade. So my seventh grade uh, I think I played basketball and ran track. You uh, know, because I was fast and wanted to be an athlete. And never really thought about football. But my Junior High coach, was the team coach, I mean, he was just such a positive guy. He was an older guy, but he was such a positive guy, and, and he wanted me to come out and play football, and I did. But he taught me so many life lessons in, in that short period of time, eighth grade and ninth grade. Uh, he made an impact on my my life, but so many guys' lives that played us Chickasaw, you know, and uh, so that's why he, he's probably the main reason why I, I wanted to start coaching. And my dad was a basketball coach at his school um, even before I was born. So, and I didn't know that until I actually started coaching. So when I was born, uh, he was a building engineer at a school called St. Paul Catholic School, where he's still a business engineer now. And he kind of volunteered for the little peewee basketball team, and he was a coach. Uh, and I had no idea until I just ran ran across a picture, and that's when he told me, he said, yeah, I was a coach. And, uh, and I asked him, why didn't you never tell me you was a coach? And he said, because I didn't want you to coach because I was a coach. I oh, wanted you to live your own life. Yeah, um, and I thought that was, you know, I thought that was unique. But uh, so those those two people mainly are, are you know, kind of shape my culture. career. there's been other high school coaches around um, that have kind of helped me and molded me and that, that mindset. So, uh, but those two guys in particular,
0: for good, sure. Good deal. Now your first year uh, was a success at uh, Westwood. And I think what was yeah. it the first playoff uh, for Westwood in what eighteen years was that that yeah. first year first playoff in about eighteen years yes sir now uh, uh, did you have a good core group coming back or what what was the immediate success there contributed to yeah so we had
1: we had a good group coming back uh, basically my, my my deal was I wanted to wait I wanted to I wanted to eliminate the waste of time. And I wanted to. I wanted to just to just to run this program as much as a college program as I could. Because uh, back in my community at Westwood, no, nobody really went to college during those days. You mm-hmm. know, especially for football, we've had guys go through the past, but as of lately, nobody's ever been. So and I want those guys to to understand what I've been through and let them know that. I mean, four or five years ago, I was in the same spot as a student. You know, but now as now as a coach. Uh, I want those guys to realize that they can do it as well. So I just wanted to run it. I wanted to have structure. I wanted to have discipline, uh, and I wanted to treat them not not as boys. I wanted to treat them as young men. You know, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to hold their hand and babysit them. Uh, we've had rules, and, and the rules were simple. There was cutthroat, cut, cut, cut throat and they, they weren't really a lot of rules. It was just the main you know, do what you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do it. And if the kids did it, it worked. If the kids didn't, then they got punished for it. Uh, and that worked. You know, it wasn't a lot of in-between rules. It wasn't a lot of things to
0: kind of cater to the kids. It was just real cut and dry, you know, so. And I, and I think that helped. And talked about the, the, the process that it took for you to leave Westwood to go to Cordova. Uh, was that a hard decision or uh, you walked through that oh, process? Absolutely. So, uh, I've told this story a million times. I'm glad <laughs> you
1: asked. So, it was it was Super Bowl Sunday and I was I just finished my second season as a head coach and I had the ish to get to college. So Jerry Mack is another guy you know, who's been influential to me in my in my coaching career, in my journey. He's the O. C. at Rice right now. Um, and he, he was when he was the O. C. at Pine Bluff, I kinda went and spent the whole day with him. And I think that day is when I kinda got the urge to coach college ball. So he hooked me up with a guy named Todd Cooley who was the head coach at Delta State and I went and interviewed for the wide receiver job at Delta State and he offered me the job on the spot but he said it's $20,000 no benefits. Uh, So I went home that night I prayed and I tried to figure out every way I could make it work but I
0: couldn't because I had a wife and I had a brand new daughter that Mm -hmm. was born two months earlier in November. So that didn't happen.
1: Uh, A couple of weeks later the National Coaches Convention was in Nashville, and Carson Newman had a running back job open, and at the time it was the legendary coach, Coach Ken Sparks. And I remember running, literally running around uh, the Gaylord Hotel trying to find a printer just so I could print off my resume and give it to, to Coach Sparks. And he, and at the time, he was the president of, of the FCA. He was going to a dinner. And one of his assistant coaches said, listen, he's going to a dentist. You got to catch him. If you can catch him, give it to him. And it was almost like fate. I was running. I was running up the steps. And I'll never forget this. I was literally running. And I called him. And I gave him a sheet of paper that had my resume on it. Well, he called me back. I drove to Jefferson City the next week uh, in a reading. He offered me the running back job. But it was $25,000 with no benefits. <laughs> and I couldn't do that one either. Uh, so now I just settled on standing stand at Cordova and then I actually interviewed for the Cordova job and I didn't get it at first. They gave it to the the guy um, and he had it and I called and I congratulated him on getting the job. I said, hey, you deserve it. Congratulations. If anything I can do to help, let me know. And five months later in May, he actually called me and said, hey, listen, I'm taking a at a, at a, at a local school and I want you to be the head coach.
0: And that's how I became the head coach at Cordova. So. Oh, nice. Interesting story. Yeah, and then, but you, you had success uh, pretty quickly as well. You had, the, what, the first winning season there in nine years, and then, what, 2016 yeah. went 12-2. and two. Was that the most uh, wins in school history at that time?
1: Most wins in school history. Uh, and it was fun. I mean, I had a great group of coaches, a uh, great group of kids. The administration was great. The, the school was great. The community really rallied around us. Uh, it was fun. It was, it was fun from the day I walked in to the day I left. Uh, just seeing the transformation and seeing the kids that went on to go to college and sign football scholarships and not even that. I mean, just seeing those guys graduate
0: and become productive citizens been, it's has been fun yeah and you had uh, been pretty successful in getting your kids to uh, college too from what I can find over the six years I think you put somewhere around 75 players uh, that went on to play football on scholarship does that sound correct
1: yes sir
0: yes sir yeah so I mean that's, that's I mean that's that's something that's something great and you know all, and then how did you get to you know to Memphis uh, Tigers uh, did they call you how did, how did that come about
1: so I was Norvell's first school that he stopped by. So Daryl Dickey, who was the running back coach at the time, was the area recruiter for the Memphis area. And when Norvell first got hired, uh, I was actually at Francis for the bowl game when Dickey was the interim coach. They they were preparing for the Birmingham Bowl, and I remember Coach Norvell walking out, and I was just a spectator on the sideline. Uh, And Coach Dickey introduced me as a local high school coach at Cordova, and we shook hands, and that was really it. That was, that was it. And then uh, later, maybe the next week, Coach Dickey brought him around to the schools for the recruit period, and I was the first school. And we sat and talked. We had a genuine conversation. You can tell Coach Neville was a genuine person. And he said, hey, hey, listen, AJ, anytime you want to come over, let me know. Come over. Um, and I did. So I went and watched every spring practice I could just to kind of learn. And was, he was an offensive genius. Uh, Wanted to learn and kind of implement his ways and his practice styles into what we're doing. We kind of stayed in contact, uh, and I actually interviewed for the uh, for off the field role uh, maybe a year later, and I didn't get it. Uh, I didn't get it, and he said, "No, you're not the fit for this job." Uh, and then Derek Dickie ended up getting the job at Texas A&M, and Dickie called me and said, "Hey, I'm leaving." And then about 30 minutes later, Mavell called and said, "Hey, Coach Dickie just left. I want to interview you for the running back up. Um, so he interviewed me on a, on a Wednesday morning at 6 a.m., and then on Thursday, he called and offered me the job, and it was, um, I was one of the greatest days of my life, you know, so I am forever indebted to to him for doing that.
0: And how was that transition going from high school to, you know, college coaching? Uh, it
1: was scary at first. (laughs) You know, when you walk into a pro at the time with Memphis and Coach Noselle, and those guys had it rolling. I mean, Coach Dickey did an unbelievable job with those running backs, and the system was, was, was what it was. And you're walking in, you want to walk in not to just screw it up. But the guys of, of the room that I walked into, they were so phenomenal. I mean, you talking about the are Hensons of the world and the Tony Paulers and uh, Patrick Taylor and all those guys that were there, I mean, they kind of welcomed me with open arms, you know, and, and they were great. They were True student athletes. They were they were professionals, uh, and they embraced me and we trying to line this thing together. And uh, and the staff that was already there they they welcomed me with open arms and coached me as And everybody played a huge part of making that transition smooth for me. So and that was that was awesome.
0: Now what what's the differences from when you were a player going through the recruiting process to to now? as a coach, uh, seeing kids going through the recruiting process, what are some similarities and some differences? Obviously, social media is a major difference, but uh, is that really the only difference? Uh, No, these kids now get hounded. Uh,
1: And I guess I'm one of the few coaches in coaching college ball that can say that they've seen it on on both sides. So I've seen it as a high school coach and I've seen it as a collegiate coach. Um, These kids get absolutely hounded. I mean, they get text messages pretty much all day. Somebody from some school is always him the book, you know, and it's, it's kind of overwhelming for kids, so our a little different, you know, and, and because I want to make sure that I put the value on a young man as a young man and not as a, and not as a football player. Um, but I guess most of these, I mean, you have social media, you have tons of different camps now that these kids can go to and get exposed, whereas when I was getting recruited, it, it wasn't that um, obviously, social media is probably the biggest advantage that these kids have. Uh, I think every morning I wake up, I wake up to at least, you know, coach, can you please watch my film type deal. Whether it's mm-hmm. from a kid, whether it's from a parent, whether it's from a coach, uh, and I try to take time to respond to each and every last one of them because three, or four years ago, I was doing the exact same thing, you know. And
0: uh, yeah,
1: I think I think now it's it's, it's frustrating for these kids because. Some kids look at Twitter and they only see the five star and the four star kids, and a lot of those kids kind of get discouraged and they and they forget about the lower level schools, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I don't think it should be like that. You know, I think that it's a place for it's a place for everybody. Uh, I think the recruiting could be a really good thing. It's obviously about building relationships. Uh, if if the coaches and the schools do it the right way. You know, I think it would be a wonderful thing. So, and I also use it to help other people out as well. So, if if we can have a well, I'm sorry, if if we don't have a spot at the University of Memphis, I would probably call my buddy at UT Martin or Richmond or Alabama A&M and say, "Hey, listen, I got a kid. We won't be able to take, but I think he may be a good fit for you." You know, and um, but they have they have so many more resources now than than what we had in the past.
0: Yep, and uh, your approach to recruiting, uh, do you look at uh, the person first or the player first? Uh, obviously you look at the player first. I mean, a lot of people do look at the person first. Well, if the kid can't play, you want to recruit
1: him. <laughs> you know? yeah. And then after you say, well, hey, this kid can play at our level, then that's what you want to do, your homework on the kid. You want to talk to him, and you want to talk to the high school coach. And I like to talk to somebody beyond the high school coach, whether it's a teacher, or a guidance counselor, a janitor, or a principal, uh, to let me know, okay, what is this kid really like? Uh, because you don't want to waste time, and you don't want to miss. And we've been so very, very fortunate here at the university Remember that we have really, really good kids in our program. And I think that's a test to that's that's an to. Uh, the plan that Coach Novell could put in place and now what Coach Silverfield is doing now, of actually doing your research and your homework on kids. And yes, we want good players. We we wouldn't watch the film. We wouldn't reach out if they weren't a good player. Uh, but after we realized they're a good player, we want to make sure that they're even better human being. Uh, now we've had some we've had some cases where we've seen some good guys on film, uh, and we did our research and we and we went we went in another direction. You know, so uh, and that's how I like to do it. You know, I like to to see who is involved in the recruiting process and and kind of go
0: from there. And and how do you personally balance the the work life with the home life? Because family is very important. And so, so how do you keep them engaged and, and let you know that you're there and that you love them and things like that? No doubt. So what I try is I try to uh, I try to take my the more I try to
1: take my girls to school as much as I possibly can. Um, so if we don't have to be in the office until 730, I can take them to the forecare, and I can speed the work, uh, and try to, it's work is only about 20 minutes from my home. So I I try to take them to school as much as I can because they don't know, they don't do, they, they, they know that is a college football coach. They don't know what that entails. Obviously, we do have long nights, so FaceTime is really good for that. Anytime we're out of the office, we're out of the office. You know, we try to rush home, watch soccer games. Um, I try to spend as much time with them as I humanly possibly can. Now, even with that, when we have practice, it's really good for spring practice. Because in the, in the fall, we, we're more, even in the springtime, when we're doing workouts, or in the summertime, we're doing OTAs type of deal, I have my family come up there with me, you know, and they kind of watch practice. and after practice we'll get on the track together and walk the track and play and we'll have the guys over by the house. So we try to we try to make it as fun as normal for as for our kids as we possibly can. And my wife she's the she's the rock star of it all. She she kinda holds this thing together.
0: Nice. And uh, for for you, what's the best thing about being a college football coach?
1: go through the masses and, and uh, you can have you can have a greater platform because people look at you in a different light when you're a a coach versus a head coach in high school. Uh but but the message is still the same. You know, you, you wanna you wanna motivate people, you wanna encourage people, you wanna have an image uh, And, hey, this is this is what was going so, and, uh, It's almost the same
0: yeah, the uh the players that you have on the on um at Memphis now. Uh I get well ever since you've been there, who's been the most fun to coach? Uh, the most fun to coach. I'd say all of them, all of them uh, that's
1: a tough
0: question. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now has there been one that's been the most difficult or most surprising one to coach that you thought maybe it was gonna be a difficult time but end up being oh this is a, this is a special player, a special relationship that you've built. Well,
1: uh, I guess you can say all of them hell yeah, what I know that's a kind of a vague answer, but no, that's I all guess right. people like Derek Hennison and Tony Park and Patsy Taylor obviously. Along with Kenneth Gangwell, now they've been the best but they are they are all of my guys are, are the opposite of what people may think that they really are. Uh, so We've been very fortunate and blessed to have those four running backs and guys like Kyle and Watkins and, and Rodriguez Clark too. Uh, people would think that they're loud, ambitious guys. When my room is really quiet and, and, and soft, like Darrell Henderson did not talk as much. Uh, Kenneth Gainwell is not as quiet as a kid you'll ever see. Patrick was probably the one that talked the most, but even he was quiet. You know, you didn't, you didn't see those guys out. And uh, uh,
0: Patrick's he also seemed like uh, he was beyond his years. He was like, a, I guess, a father figure to some of the other running backs. Was that the, the case? You no
1: know, no. Uh, Patrick is, Patrick was, was it, this, this past 2019 season, Patrick was probably the greatest football player in college football. Uh, and I mean that from a human being point of view. I mean, you go out, he work so hard. I mean, he's done everything right. I mean, Patrick... He created. And he laid his own bowler without anybody telling him. You know, and if if you have a daughter the age of 20, 21, 22 years old, you you would want Patrick to marry your daughter. Uh, matter of fact, you would you would hurry up and run her down the aisle, or she walk her down the aisle, because he's such a special young man. And to see him get hurt and have to miss eight, nine games uh, was heartbreaking. And mm-hmm. it was heartbreaking for him, but he never showed it. I mean, he he, he showed up to every meeting. He was at every every walk through, every practice, every game. Uh, and he was encouraging guys. And to see that here it is, he was he was draft pick, you know, he was mm-hmm. he could have went on his junior year and been a third round pick. Uh, but he decided to come back and he gets hurt. And for him to, give, to him to him to still have a smile on his face and to go about doing things the right way, uh, is absolutely amazing.
0: And with this uh, this coronavirus going around, you know the spring practice is you know uh, I think canceled. How does how's that affecting uh, the team? How how do you guys you know communicate with the team to make sure everyone's still staying in, in, in fitness and you know somewhat I guess game shape and, and game sharpened.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Coach Silver put a great plan in place to where everybody in our department, in our football department, um, does a great job of, of contacting those guys, whether it's academics, whether it's a strength staff, a counseling department, out of the football, uh, nutrition, and, and athletic training. We all have a, have a role of, of talking to those guys and with those guys. Um, so we just try to stay in constant communication with them. They're sending us videos of those guys, of, of them working out. A lot of, them kind of, some of them work out together a little bit if they can. But um, a lot of them are back home at their hometown, just trying to just trying to survive and,
0: and trying to trying to do the best that they can do. You know. So. You know, if you weren't coaching, what would you be doing? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I have
1: no idea. That's a scary thing to think about. Uh, I wouldn't. I, I
0: really have no idea. I really don't. Um, and so your your ambitions, uh, your ambitions is the coach. Uh, now uh, you know, f- going on future, would you like to eventually you know take over a, a, a college program yourself? Absolutely, absolutely. I would. I would love one day
1: to be, uh, to be an offensive coordinator and a head football, and a head football coach one day. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, and not not just for the sake of. Being a head of football coach, I want to be a head of football coach because you can impact so many people. You can impact not only your players, you can impact the parents, you can impact the community, you can impact your university as well as their entire city. Um, I think you can have so much fun doing it, doing it the right way. You know, So, yes, that is, that is one of my goals for sure.
0: We'd like to thank Coach Jones for his time and sharing his story with us. Please check out tigersportsreport.com for more articles. And our next Why I Coach podcast will feature special teams coach Pete Limbo.